you may be seated. Let's just begin now with a word of prayer. Father, we just uh, bow our heads before you and um, we just want to be reminded, Lord, that it's just you, you and us right now. Our world tells us to uh, think about the outside, how we look, um, how our lives look might, might look like on the outside, um, what job we might have or don't have, um, the possessions we have, the friends we have, but those things are not how you measure us, Lord. It is from the inside out. So, Lord, we pray right now that... Um, I just think about this message, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that it's not about my words, but it's about you, about uh, the inside of my heart. And then, Lord, as um, you move, that you might look at the insides of all our hearts, and uh, you might transform us today. So we just surrender this all to you, and in your name we pray, amen. Our scripture passage is found in Acts, Acts 15. We're going to look at a few uh, verses um, towards the ends of Acts 15, 36 through 41. Several months ago, I was here and I talked about that we are dust. And um, the focus of that message was that, I mean, we are logical people. We see one another, we're dressed up, all these type of things. But the reality is that God breathed life into us, and in that, it, well, we were a pile of dust, and to dust we shall return. Now, I talked about that at a po point in my life, I went to a retreat called uh, Curcio, and at this retreat, I saw men get up in front of a podium, and they talked about that they didn't have their lives all together. They had struggles. And as I watched them talk about their lives and be real with me, I felt Christ saying, you know, Bob, come to me. Just like I opened with our call to worship. Come to me if you are weary and burdened. Because I was weary of trying to live this, this perfect life or praying, trying to put on this facade that I had it all together. And when I saw guys get real and say that they didn't have it all together, I realized that I didn't have to have it all together. And that I could give my burdens to Jesus and he would take them. And I began this process of being a, a true follower of Jesus and, and realizing that life is not always fun. Well, maybe you have had an experience like that at some point in your life. Or maybe your life has been just this gradual climb. My wife and I, we have different life experiences. On that date in, in 1996, I had this transformation in my life where my wife, her walk since a young child has been this steady climb, this steady transformation of God drawing her closer and closer to himself. So our, our life experiences have been completely different. But the key in all of this, whether you had a, a huge transformation at some point, or maybe you're, you're wondering about that today, or if it's been this steady climb, the key is that at some point, 
we have to hold one another um, to see what's going on in each other's lives. We have to be challenged. And that's what happened to me. After that experience I had, I had a good friend who kept challenging me. And he came to me one day. I haven't always been a pastor. I was a farmer for 20 years. And when I was doing chores one day after that retreat, my friend came to me and he said, Bob, I, we're going to have, I know we're going to have an open mic time at uh, the service tonight. And he says, I feel like God wants you to talk about what you experienced at that retreat. Well, that was crazy. I mean, my mouth got dry and I had I've never done that. Got in front of people at the congregation and talked about what God had was doing in my life. So that was crazy that he wanted to do that or that he was challenging me to do that. So where are you? How do you how is someone challenging you or maybe God is challenging you in some way? And we're going to look at this bigger picture even in this passage. There's always a bigger picture going on in your life. It's a lot of times we look with blinders, but there's always a bigger picture. And my friend challenging me was part of a bigger picture. So let's look at uh, verse 36 in Acts 15. Sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of God and see how they are doing. So basically, we see... Oh, here we got to turn this on. We see a mark of the church in that uh, passage. You guys started this church several years ago, but you can't just come here and and remodel this building and start meeting and say, "Okay, we're going to be Living Water Church" by just coming here and starting to meet here. No, there are things that have to be a part of this process for you guys to organize and be a church. And there are certain marks. These are the marks of a church. First of all, the preaching of the word has to take place. In Reformed Doctrine, we believe the word is central. So if you're in a traditional church and you see the pulpit in the center of the stage, that's because the word of God is central. So the preaching of the word has to take place for the a mark of the church. The sacraments, they also have to be administered. We're going to do both today. We're going to, I get to baptize my, my grandson, and we're going to partake of communion as well. So the, the sacraments have to take place um, for a church to be a church. And the last one is accountability, okay? I hold you accountable, and you hold me accountable. There has to be accountability for uh, the church to be a church. So what mark do we see in verse 36? Help me out. There's a mark in there. What do you see? Which one of those marks is evident in that passage? Now, I'm going to ask questions once in a while. So if you think you can just sit here and leave and not talk, it's not going to happen. Somebody is going to talk. Accountability, exactly. Paul's and, and these guys have been going and preaching the word. And they said, okay. We've been doing this stuff, we've been preaching the gospel, we've been loving people, now let's go back 
and see, the, and see what God is doing in their lives. Let's hold them accountable. Just like my friend challenged me. He said, okay, Bob, you had this experience. Now you need to verbalize this experience to others. I'm holding you accountable by challenging you to go and share what God has done in your life. So Paul is doing the same thing. Let's go back and see how these people are, are doing. Okay? So we're going to baptize uh, Easton here in a little while. We're baptizing him into the visible membership of Living Water Community Church, okay? So you, if you are a member here, you have a right to hold Easton accountable, and Easton has a right to hold you accountable. That's accountability. What's God doing in Easton's life, or what's God doing in Todd and Tanya's life? As they bring Easton to the church and say, we believe God is drawing us to have Easton baptized. We believe in this process. What is God doing in their lives? They're showing their accountability by doing that. And you can ask them. Um, they're going to share a little testimony about what God has done. They're being held accountable. And you can ask them, what else is God doing? Or they can ask you what God is doing in your life. That's a, that accountability thing. Verse 37 through 38. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. He's got two names, just like I'm, my original name is Robert, and they call me Bob. So he, you can call him John, Mark, whatever you want to do. But John also called Mark with him, but Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Okay? Paul basically saw a hoodwinker. A hoodwinker is I was good at this. I was a hoodwinker. When I was playing this game of trying to make everybody believe that I had my life together, I was making money on the farm, I didn't make poor decisions, I was a hard worker, I wanted everybody to believe that that was my life. I had a good marriage, my kids were well-behaved, all those type of things. We came to church with a smile on our face, well-dressed, but a lot of that was a facade. The truth was my marriage was struggling at times. It wasn't happy and smiley and all of that. And I didn't have it all together. I had lost lots of money on the farm, and I didn't make always correct decisions. That was the truth. So I was a hoodwinker to all these people that are around me, and I wanted them to believe something different. So when I saw these guys get up and tell their story and were real with me, I wanted to be real with other people because being a hoodwinker or playing that game is not fun. You're basically living a lie, and that's what I was doing. And so I, when Jesus says, come to me, and I did that, there was huge freedom in that process. But now what? I mean, it's a natural tendency. I still struggle with being a hoodwinker. I want you to believe that, okay, I'm a pastor, and this is fun. You know, I get to preach, I get to stand up, I get to study, I get to baptize my grandson. That's all fun and games, but no. Ministry is hard and it's messy. And loving people who are hard to love, that's all tough stuff. So I still struggle at times with being a hoodwinker. Well, Paul believed he saw a hoodwinker in this guy named John Mark. He deserted them along the path. In fact, in verse um, Acts 13, 13, it says this. From Paphias, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So, why did John leave? It doesn't say. 
We can only speculate, you know. Maybe he was homesick. Maybe someone in his family was sick and he needed to return home to Jerusalem to take care of them. Or maybe as they were preaching the gospel, this did get tough. I mean, when you are talking about what God is doing in your life or you hear people talking about what God is doing in their life, the Holy Spirit has huge power in convicting us. The Word of God cuts to the very marrow of your bone. So maybe John was a hoodwinker, and he says, you know what? If I continue with these guys and have to love on people and preach the gospel, what's really going on in my life is going to come out, and I need to get out of here. We don't know what the reason was, but he did leave and desert their work. So Paul, he's frustrated, and he says, I don't want anything to do with this guy anymore. Let him go, but I'm not taking him along on this journey because he left us back um, earlier when we were going into uh, um, Pamphylia, and I don't want anything to do with him. So beginning of verse 39, they had a sharp disagreement, such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. So basically, Paul is saying, I don't agree. I'm going to take my ball and I'm going home. They have a fight. They're, they're like junior high kids here. I want to win or I want my rules, so the heck with it. I don't, I don't agree with wanting to take him along, so I'm taking my stuff and I'm going home. I think we can all relate to that at some point. But what I like is Luke, the author of Acts, who, wrote, who writes this, he's not a hoodwinker. He calls a spade a spade and says, you know what? It's easy for all of us to put Paul on this pedestal. I mean, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He's got all this, these great writings in the, boss, in, the, in the Bible that we relate to our lives. But you know what? He had struggles too, and he has such a sharp disagreement that they split up. He calls a spade a spade. We see this in our own lives in uh, 2 uh, Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure, the gospel of Jesus, this grace, this freedom that he's given us in jars of clay. I still struggle with being a hoodwinker. You know what? I've got this gift of the gospel in my life. I'm a pastor in the Reformed Church, but you know what? I still struggle. So my vessel is a, is a pot. It's a cracked pot. It's a jar of clay that it, when dropped, it's easily broken. To show that this all-surpassing power that we're talking about is from God. If God convicts you of anything, it has nothing to do with my message, but it has everything to do with the Holy Spirit and the power of God, and not from us. During the Reformation... The reformers had this phrase. It was ecclesia reformata as semper reformanda. Okay, say that with me. Ecclesia as semper reformanda. Okay, that's Latin. Basically, it means this the church reforming and ever reforming. Uh, Reinhold Newberg said this we must fight others' falsehood with our truth. So they saw the falsehood that the church was doing as far as priests making people pay for their sins and all that type of stuff. So they said, we must fight others' falsehood with our truth, but we must also fight the falsehood 
in our truth. That's that, that scene. I'm, I'm speaking to you from what God has laid on my heart in this passage, but I'm a cracked pot. And you guys have to discern yourself what is the Holy Spirit saying to you in this passage. It's not about me. Yes, I've had education, but you know what? I'm a sinner saved by grace, just like the rest of you. This floor is flat. I might be standing on a step, but I'm no better than any one of you. Last weekend, I went to, uh, we, we did one of these retreats in a, in a prison in Springfield, South Dakota. And um, I gave a couple of talks during this retreat that we led. And one of the prisoners came up to me on Sunday when it was all over, and he said, you know what? He said, I always thought you, you preachers, you pastors were just born good. Yeah. I mean, he had us on this pedestal just like you might do with Paul or, or with Jason, I don't know. But he said, you know what? You guys are just like us. You are just like us prisoners in this prison right now. You struggle with life and you sin and all of that. And that's exactly right. We have to fight others' falsehood with our truth, but we also have to fight the falsehood in our truth. So look how God redeems these crackpots, okay? These crackpots that we're talking about. So we got these guys who are going to go back and hold these churches accountable. Well, God loves to take something bad and redeem it to something good, okay? He's always in that, in that process. So verse 39, the end of 39 to 41, Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We love to measure success by numbers. I mean, if, if you guys started this church and there was 20 people here today, there are people that were probably involved in this process would say, okay, is living water really a success? I mean, that's our logical form, and that's the way we look. We love to measure success by numbers. So because most of the seats are full, we think, okay, living water is a success because a lot of people are coming here. But God doesn't always look that way, and he loves to redeem things, and he loves to do it in an exponential process, and I think we see that in this plan as well. So I see lots of youth here. And I imagine, who of you youth have, have all the money you need? Yes, exactly. Everybody could use a little more money when you're in college and, and all that process. So I got a question for you. A penny or $2,000? I can give you a penny or I can give you $2,000. Which one are you going to take? Anybody? $2,000, pretty simple. Doesn't take a math whiz to do that. But I'm going to put a little twist to it, okay? I'm going to give you $2,000 every day for 30 days, okay? That's one option. The other option is I'm going to give you a penny, but that penny is going to work exponentially, okay? Meaning that today I give you one penny, tomorrow I give you two pennies, and the third day... I give you four pennies, and so forth. It doubles exponentially every day. So at the end of 30 days, you have the penny plan, or you have the $2,000 plan. Every day, $2,000. 
or here, every day a penny, but exponentially. Which one do you want? Right here, this gal right here. Which one do you want? Don't make it harder than it is. Just Exactly, I would too. A penny is not a lot of money. But the key is, and this is how God works, he loves to work exponentially. And exponentially, if you would have taken the penny, you'd have had $10,737,418.23. Or with $2,000, you end up with what? $60,000. Exactly. Exactly. God loves to transform one person's life and then that person says, okay, this is what God is doing in my life. I'm going to share that with one other person. You know, logically, we love to see a room full of people rather than one other person. But if everybody here concentrates on the next year on one other person, exponentially the next year, look what happens. Because a penny multiplied over 30 days is 10737418 That's how God can work. So here's the clincher to this, uh, to this story. I want you to look at the end of uh, verse 39. Basically there, Barnabas says, I'm going to take Mark, or it says, Barnabas took Mark, and in the beginning of verse 40, um, Paul says, I choose Silas. So in our logical world of English, we don't see a lot of difference in those two phrases, do we? I mean, if, if I were going to call, what's your name? Kayla. If I were going to call Kayla up here and uh, Frank, Frank, right? No, Jake, Jake, yeah, I'm sorry. So if I was going to call Kayla and Jake up here, and I said, okay, Jake, I want you to pick half of this audience, and Kayla, you have to pick half of the audience, you might at some point say, I choose Lou, you know? And Kayla might say, I'll take that gal in the front row, you know? And nobody would think um, any different of the way they were choosing the people, would you? Anybody? No, I mean, whether you say choose or take, we would divide up this audience equally, okay? But as in so many other places in the Bible, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Greek, and these two Greek words are different, okay? And I think this is what um, really separates this passage. As Jake and Kayla would choose I mean, if you are the last person, you're going to, I mean, you're going to get picked, but obviously in our carnal nature, we love to pick, be picked first. I mean, you don't even know why we're dividing the audience, but you're going to want to be picked earlier rather than later. That's just our nature because we deal with this thing called rejection and none of us like it. You know, especially if Kayla or Jake would say, you know what, I think I have enough. You last couple of people, I don't want you. Jake, if you want them, you can have them, but I don't want them. I got enough, you know. That is really cut to the heart in dealing with rejection. So as you look at this passage, as you look at your life, I want you to look at this passage in the context and their culture because 
they dealt with rejection in a different way. Everybody in their culture, you see this in Paul's letters as well, he uses the word adoption a lot. There's several passages that, that have it. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption. Theirs is the adoption. He predestined us to be adopted. The reason is because adoption was a big thing in that culture. The culture there, as they dealt with um, adoption, was that when a child was born, in this case like Easton, when Easton was born, Todd, as the father, would have eight days to decide if he wanted to keep Easton, okay? Now, that's unheard of in our culture. I mean, we do have um, women who say, I'm going to give my child up for adoption, that type of thing. But in this culture, the father had eight days to decide, do I want to keep this child? In fact, a child was not even considered born until it was adopted, okay? So until that eighth day, when they circumcised that child, that child was considered a stillborn. So if the father said, you know what, I don't need this child or I don't want this child, the midwife would take that child out to the field and leave it lay. And then it was open for adoption for another family to go and pick it up and adopt it into that family. So rejection and adoption is huge, and I think that's why we see that in Paul's language at times. Being adopted as sons, all that type of thing. Adoption was a big thing. So when Paul says, the heck with John Mark, I'm done with him, I'm rejecting him, all this culture floods into their life. That, that, that process of being rejected again. If you've been rejected once and somebody picks sides and doesn't choose you, that floods into your life as well. Nobody, whether they've ever been rejected or not been rejected, does not like that feeling. So it's a, it's a huge part of their culture as, as well as ours. So what's the difference in this process? Well, the process is in those two words, okay? So when... when um, Paul rejects Mark, or Barnabas says, no, I'm taking Mark. Or he says, I, he took Mark. That word is paralabamo, okay? And Paul's word, when he says, I choose Silas, that word is epilego. And here's the difference. Paralabamo is, okay, if you're a leader, you have a choice. You can be the leader and be the leader on the top of the pyramid and stay there, and you are all about being up there and keeping everybody down below you because you're the leader and you want to keep it that way. Or if you are a true leader, as in what Jesus did, he turned that type of philosophy upside down and he said, I, you guys are going to follow me, the disciples, but I want you to make leaders out of other people. I want you to follow me, but then at some point, I want you to go make other disciples and create other leaders, okay? That's what Barnabas did when he said, I am, I'm going to stick with John Mark. For whatever reason, he deserted us. I see something in him, and I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to take him under my wing, and I'm going to nurture him and mentor him and create another leader. Where Paul, when he says, I'm choose Silas, it's just about picking a name. It'd be like Kayla saying, okay, I'm going to take Ellen. 
I'll take him, whatever. I know his name, no big deal. Bob said I had to split up the congregation. I'm taking him by name. She, didn't want, she really doesn't want to create another leader. She's just picking somebody, so she's picking him by name. That's what Paul did with, with uh, Silas, where Barnabas says, you know what? I see something in this guy, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to create another leader. Now look at the results. 2 Timothy 4.11, this is what Paul says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to my ministry. So because Barnabas said, you know what, I see something in this guy and I'm going to create another leader, even eventually Paul, who said the heck with him at some point, says later on, you know what, I see this guy and he has developed, the Spirit is working in his life and he is helpful to my ministry. There's that exponential process of somebody investing in someone else. And even his big dispute or his grudge with Barnabas in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, or, or it is only I and Barnabas who must work for our living. So obviously they've come together and they worked out their differences and they're working together again. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit saying in your life. Maybe there's someone in your life who you haven't gotten along with for a long time, and there's a grudge, and there's a feud, and once in a while you see this person. What does the Holy Spirit want you to do? What do you do with that grudge? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? Maybe, I mean, the minute I say that, he brings somebody to your mind. Or maybe there's somebody that he wants that a lot of people have said the heck with. You know what? He has failed too many times. I saw a whole group of those people in prison last weekend. Society has given up, to, uh, given up on them. A lot of ways, a lot of people, their family have given up on them. But you know what? They just want someone to love them and to tell them that God loves them and hasn't given up on him. I saw it over and over and over again that they, they want that chance. They want to do right because they know the Spirit is working in them and, the, and that whole process, whether they have all kinds of tattoos or piercings or whatever they look like. God doesn't care. God is reaching out to them. We all want that. Who is God saying to invest? So, Who is that Barnabas? As you listen to the Holy Spirit, who is your Barnabas? You know, that you need to invest in, to end a grudge, or who is um, your mark? To leave a mark exponentially. Maybe there's someone you need to invest in because somebody has invested in you. I got... uh, So we talked about everybody wants some money. We got a $20 bill. Who wants a $20 bill? Oh, just like that, boy. We want to participate now, don't we? Ah, yeah, exactly. Well, now, before I give this $20 bill away, there's a catch. We're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. So, We're talking about accountability as a mark of the church. So if you want this $20 bill, I'm not just going to give it to you and then you can go out and go to a movie or, you know, whatever you're going to do with the $20 bill. No, I want you to take it knowing that 
you have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit want you to do with this $20 bill? How does he want to use this $20 bill exponentially? And then I want somebody, whoever is going to take it, be willing to hold this person accountable. Okay? I talked to Jason about this. And he's willing to hold you accountable as well. That at some point, when the Holy Spirit tells you what to do with this $20 bill, that then you would come up and just like my friend challenged me to go stand in front of that, that mic with my dry mouth and tell you what the Holy Spirit did in my life in front of that service that day, that you would come up here and say, okay, this is what the Holy Spirit told me to do with this $20 bill. And how God worked exponentially. And then whoever holds this person accountable can also pray for this person and hold that person accountable. Okay, what's God telling you? Okay, so who wants the $20 bill now? Well, we still have uh, some takers. Okay, you way in the back row. That, yeah, you stand up. Come on up here. Now, who wants to hold this young lady accountable? Who's willing to hold her accountable that she listens to the Holy Spirit and then talks about it? See, this is the thing. We, we struggle with accountability in the church. Who's going to, I mean, we're not going to go on until somebody holds this gal accountable. So who are you? Are you guys a bunch of people who love to come and gather? Or do you really want to see transformation? Who's going to hold her accountable? Right here. Okay, come on up. Come on up. Way to listen to the Holy Spirit. You know this young lady? Do you know her? You guys know each other? Maybe. Okay, this is good. See, because this is out of the comfort zone. Now two people who don't even know each other very well are going to hold each other accountable. They're going to pray what God wants them to do with this $20 bill, and then we're going to hold you accountable. At some point, they come up and share this story, okay? So, okay, you hang on to that $20 bill, and you stay right here. I got four more. Who else? Come on. Who else wants I mean, I don't have to give them away. Right here. Come on up. Who wants to hold this lady accountable? Oh, I'd be, yeah, okay. You're right there. I saw you. I saw you. Stephanie's going to hold you accountable. Okay, two more. I thought, sure, Kayla would, since she's sitting right in the front row, and I've, oh. right here? Okay, come up. Let me hear you, buddy. Who's going to hold this guy accountable? Okay, come on up. You know that guy? Yeah. Do you? Okay. <laughs> He's going to hold you accountable. Who else? One more. Oh, I guess I got two more. Come on up. Who's going to hold him accountable? Right there? Okay. You guys know each other? Do you? Okay. Those two are going to hold. I got one more. Anybody right there? Who's going to hold him accountable? You will? Okay. So here we got five testimonies, and, and I mean, you can use them. I mean, God can use this $1 at a time, you know, and work exponentially. 
You know, so we have a hundred different stories that, that can happen, you know. Imagine, and then, I mean, I had this, I did this at another church one time, and I'm in the grocery store several weeks later, and this lady comes up to me, and she says, you know, yeah, I was there when you did that, and that was good, and I felt God telling me to do it, but I didn't do it, you know, I didn't go up. And I said, well, so what? You can still do it today. I said, you told me about it. Go tell your pastor or somebody in your church that, I mean, she had a whole deal, what she would, what she would have done with the $20 bills and everything. I said, go do it and go tell somebody that you're going to do it so that they hold you accountable and give a testimony to what God did with that, you know? Give God the glory that it's the power from him and you're a cracked pot. So if that's you today, the $20 bills are gone, but you have 20 bucks or say, I want to do that with somebody. Hold me accountable. You can still do it. And tell Jason about it or tell an elder about it or somebody else in the church. I mean, this can work exponentially on and on and on in living water. I mean, who knows what God will do in this community through $1 or $20, whatever it might be. God loves to work exponentially one person at a time. Let's pray. Oh, what we got to do before we, uh, we pray. I want you to think about that Christ says, I, as he talks to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. So you guys can turn around and watch the screen, and we're going to listen to this song by uh, Avalon, that there are no orphans of God. God loves everybody, and no matter what you are, um, he loves you and will not leave you as an orphan. want to stand, be sure may, and sing along, whatever you want to do. wrong with that um, file. I heard him playing it earlier. It worked. Maybe I'll just close in prayer. If you guys get it, we'll, we'll listen to it another time. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you do not leave us as orphans, but um, you talk about um, as you go and make disciples, I will be with you always one person at a time, that all authority in heaven and on earth is, is with us um, when we go out, even as we are crackpots and um, you redeem our lives and work in our lives 
or work the bad to good. You are our great Redeemer. So we thank you for that message. And we pray that you will work. We know that you will work exponentially um, in these uh, five $20 bills and these 10 people. We just give you, um, we just pray for your surpassing power to work through them and then their testimonies sometime. In your name we pray. Amen. You can go be seated. Thanks for participating.